0: Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny System, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours, and love your nails more than ever. I would know; I've been doing it for years. Get twenty percent off your first Manny System with code Perfect Manny Twenty at AlvinJune.com/slash Perfect Manny Twenty. That's Perfect Manny Twenty at AlvinJune.com/slash Perfect Twenty. All five cravable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest is Uyghur's George of Idler, the Director of Product at Canva, the graphic design platform that allows users to easily create visual content. Massive global business. Canva is Australia's fastest growing tech startup with over 25 million monthly users in countries all around the world. Georgia originally started out working in the advertising industry but soon realized it wasn't the right fit for her and moved into the tech space and then landed a job at Canva. She's now leading the charge for the newly developed Canva for Education platform and with over one billion students across the world learning remotely, this is more important than ever. They've been working with teachers and educational institutions all over the world and have partnered up with huge tech companies like Google to offer a global education product for teachers and students for free, all for free. It's a huge deal for a great cause and today I want to ask Georgia about the process of how she got involved in advertising, how she got involved in Canva. What are the important things that drive Georgia to build these business connections that she's had since a young woman that have landed her into a position at an organisation like Canva. This is the tech company that everybody wants to work for. How the hell did she become the director of product at Canva? This is an incredibly important podcast for women in tech month. It's a beauty. So let's get into it. George Vidler, welcome to The Mentor.
1: Thanks for having me. Now, this is our
0: first time back because we did a lot of pre-records for last month which was basically the month of um, being in the business of fighting. And this, is, this month, this is a month of women in business, which is really important. Oh, cool. Um, and you're our first guest representing Canva. That's right. Um, and Canva has to be one of the greatest success stories, in the digital sense at least, um, in the world today, I would have thought. Um, and what's great for me to know is that it's got its headquarters right here in Sydney, in Surrey Hills, which yep. is where you've travelled down from today, I guess, or you guys are uh, all working remotely. No,
1: yeah, we're all remote now. Everyone's remote. Yeah,
0: and and I guess if there's any business in the world that is uh, the greatest proponent of remote is a is a business like Canva because right. uh, this has fallen. I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but this whole COVID thing is, or well, the outcome of the COVID thing has fallen straight into the laps of organisations, digital organisations such as Canva. Yeah. So if I, you look like to me, Georgia, like a relatively young lady. Um, <laughs> I'd like Thanks. to know. As director of product for Canva, and that's a pretty big role. How the hell did you land that role? And tell me a little bit about yourself, because every single person, particularly women in technology, would love to be working at Canva today. (laughs) Canva's like it's the dream place to be working. So, how did you get the dream job? And tell me a story. Like, who are you? Where'd you come from? Like, tell me the story. How did you get to meet the founders? I mean. Give us a bit of insight into what's going on.
1: Mm, yeah, I'll tell you, maybe, yeah, if I go back to long long before I started, I, yeah, yeah, I grew yeah. up in Newcastle, actually, so yeah. not Sydney, um, and wanted to, when I was kind of younger, I wanted to do lots of different things. I wanted to be like an architect or a scientist or an artist. I just kind of wanted to be everything, um, and ended up actually, uh, and like a musician, or, yeah, I had a lot of things I wanted to do, um, ended up going to uni in Sydney, so came to Sydney to go to UTS and wanted to go into advertising. So I kind of wanted to do digital marketing, eventually wanted to be Was the... digital a thing then? It was kind of a thing. It was becoming a thing. Well, how long we, Unis go? we were go, wait, way behind. Five years? Six, seven years. So you're
0: in your mid-20s? Late 20s. Late 20s, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: Late 20s, yeah. It was not that long ago though. No, not that long ago. No. So yeah, I wanted to be the creative director of an advertising agency. That was kind of the dream at the time. Um and interestingly, there are actually some kind of synergies between advertising and how you do advertising and product, um, and product development. I can get to that later and kind of went into advertising and didn't realize that the industry was not what I kind of had the mad men <laughs> idea yeah, yeah. in my head, even though that's probably not great for women, but mad men the series. Yeah, 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 you know, that kind of romantic idea of the creative uh, advertising industry, um, and kind of got into digital and realized it was not what I had thought it was going to be. Digital,
0: digital wasn't or, or advertising it, wasn't?
1: Adver- digital advertising yeah. wasn't. Like programmatic media buying and it's just kind of churning out a lot of stuff. Um, there's not a lot of, I mean, in a lot of parts of the industry, I don't feel like there's a lot of huge amount of creativity going into some of this stuff. Um, and I really wanted to be in a creative role, a creative industry. Um, and because I was in digital marketing, I was kind of going around startups in Sydney. So I don't know if you know, do you know Polonizer? was an incubator, um, in Sydney, kind of was one of the, the, the start of the Sydney startup scene, I would say. Um, and so I got a job there, uh, actually got kind of poached from this, um, telco I was working at at the time, poached by Tim Howard, who is John Howard's son. He was doing a startup, had kind of put some money into this business, um, and was looking for like young people who can come and help him, him grow it, I guess. Um, so I went over to Polonizer and started to work for that company.
0: As an incubating business. So it's a new business incubating at Polonizer the yeah. incubator.
1: Yeah. So there were a ton of businesses there. Yep. So a ton of different, you know, young people. And I'd never heard of what a startup was. I didn't know what that meant um, and thought it was pretty cool that there were all these young people working on these businesses. It was probably like four people to a business, like um, little pods, they would call it. Well, can I just stop
0: you there? Because that's really important. Yeah. A lot of people listening to this, and a lot of people in your category uh, in terms of age, mm. where'd you get the uh, chutzpah to get up and uh, leave the advertising agency and go and work for a startup in a, at a, what <laughs> would have been a pretty crazy thing like pollinizer in those days? I mean, how were you we in a position to do that? Most people aren't.
1: Yeah. Um- so I think I was in this really junior role at this uh, telco. It was called Vivid Wireless. I actually think it's still around, but they got bought out by Optus. Um, and Tim, who was the CFO, I think, at the time. Um, D- Jim, Jim Tim Howard. Howard was, was CFO. CFO of, at this
0: place. Yeah, right, and right. they
1: were, yeah, it was at Australian Technology Park, actually. So just around the seven, a lot of the kind of seven businesses. Um, and I think I did a presentation on to the company on why social media was important. At the time you know, social was kind of growing and a lot of companies didn't really understand how to do social. Um, And I was learning that myself. I mean, uni didn't teach you any of that. So you just had to kind of learn that yourself at the time. And I I did a big presentation actually to all of the executives about social. Um, And I think he saw that presentation from memory and then kind of came up to me afterwards and was like, hey, do you want to like go for a coffee? I've got an idea I want to share with you. I was like, sure, yeah, and that took old, me up.
0: That old, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that well, old what, excuse. What I didn't know at the time, and he obviously did know, was that the company was going to be bought out, and so I think, you know, a yep. lot of people might have been made redundant, who knows, um, and so he had an idea that he had this side business that he was working on. He was like, oh, you might work for that. Um, like, you might make sense because I was in digital marketing. He needed to grow this business, um, and so I went for coffee with him, uh, actually, just knew, I was still at university, so just went around the corner from my uni. Um, and he was like, hey, I've got this company. Why don't you come and check it out? It's in Surrey Hills. I'll take you down there. You can meet the team. Just see what you think. Uh, and it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, like all these young people, like kind of wanting to change the world in a way. Um, and I didn't really, yeah, I didn't know about that whole world at all, but it was very quick. It was kind of baptism by fire once I got in there into what a startup was, what doing product was, how you disrupt a market, like all of these interesting concepts that I'd, I'd never heard of and thought, I need to, I need to continue in this. This is pretty cool.
0: And then take me from there then, with next steps.
1: So next steps. So I worked on that You must be like
0: five years ago, six years ago.
1: Yeah, that was in about 2012.
0: Right, 2012. Yeah. Okay, eight years ago.
1: Yeah. So I was still studying. So I went I had a year um, studying overseas in Mexico because I was learning Spanish at the time. So left that business, came back from Mexico and went into, a, went into an agency actually. And that's kind of where I was like, okay, I'm going to like try the advertising thing. I'm finishing uni, going to give it a shot. Um, didn't really love it uh, and kind of was looking elsewhere. So um, actually a woman who worked with me at Vivid Wireless, who was one of my boss's boss, contacted me and said, hey, I've got a job for you. Um, Why don't you come and, like, check out this startup I'm working at? So same kind of deal, I guess. Uh,
0: George, can I ask a question? Because a lot of people, why do you think Tim Howard, Mm. um, your boss's boss or whoever it was, that lady, why did people resonate with you or why did you resonate with people? And what was it you did as a tip Mm. that made people remember you? Such that they would ring and say, "Hey George, you want to come work for us? Hey George, you want to come check this out?" I yeah. mean, what did you do? I mean, were you were you a suck, or were you were you really <laughs> fucking good at what think you did? Was a suck? Or were you just great at what you did, or or just friendly? Or did you did you email them back, keep talking to them?
1: Yeah, or? I definitely did. I kept. I think that's my my key thing I've learned over time, and I think it hasn't been that intentional, but reflecting, I've realised what it is. It's what is like it? I value relationships a lot. Um, and I've, I think that's the key to any. That's the key to any minor success I've had is the relationships that I've built. And how do you, when you say you career. value
0: relationships? Because I actually saw in our Q and A, we send our guests a Q and A, and I saw something in here <laughs> about um, valuing a relationship. But but in ter- that's a positive. That's a, an affirmative thing. You value relationships. I think maybe there's something else to it too. Because mm. probably most of us value a relationship. You might be a little bit more intense about it. But the, are you saying and therefore? I value relationships and therefore I – what do you do after that?
1: I make an effort with people, Yeah, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I make an effort to get to know somebody.
0: So it's not enough to value a relationship. It's about
1: – Yeah, it's definitely about getting to know people. Yeah. Um, and
0: then what do you do? What's the next step for those people listening?
1: Yeah. What else, Yeah, I when, would say – How do you execute? It's interesting. I guess you don't want to – it can't be – it has to be genuine. So you can't be trying to – get out there and build relationships. Just you know, just can't be a bullshitter. Yeah, you can't be a bullshitter. And it's not so a bullshit network system. You care about people. Yeah, it's
0: not like bullshit networking like we keep hearing people say, oh, you got to network, you got to network.
1: That's right. It's
0: got to be genuine. It has
1: to be genuine. You know,
0: and then what do you do? Like, how do you do it? How do you execute? <laughs>
1: That's a good question. Um, how do I execute well, how did you? making an effort with somebody? Hmm. Um, I mean, you keep in touch with them, I think and you get to know what they're like in their personal lives you get to know what's important to them what motivates them and
0: which relationships do you do you select to value i mean how do mm. you how do you say well can i have 10 valued relationships in my life or i mean is there a number or do you say um, i'm only going to value relationships like my personal relationship with my partner mm. obviously my family and maybe i'm going to pick one or two businessy style things that i might that I think are going to be valuable to me. I mean, uh, explain that part to
1: me. Yeah, no, I I don't think that there's a limit for me at all. I think I work with hundreds of people every day at Canva, for example. I work with the founders. I work with all of our leaders. I work with a ton of people across the business. I don't say, oh, I'm just going (laughs) to build a relationship with that one. I actually think it's critical to everything that I do, that I get to know the people around me, get to understand what motivates them. It's the only way that you can inspire people as well, I think. So at six Um,
0: o'clock at night? Sorry, I did But six yeah. o'clock at night, eat your dinner, get to relax a bit. And then do you start to build relationships? did you say, send a text to someone, and then you send an email to someone else, and then uh, send a, a photograph of something you think is interesting that you just read to someone else. I mean, is that what you're doing? Is that how you. Definitely. Do? Yep. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah, definitely. So you Talk communicate
1: all the time. Communicating all the time. So you
0: and you're, and this is good, uh, I mean, forgive me where we're going here, but uh, this might sound a little bit obvious, but. Is that the reason you're so fucking good at this shit? Because uh, social (laughs) social mediums and platforms, which is what Canva addresses, and digital, it's about communicating.
1: Maybe it's part of it, yeah.
0: It's about building it's about talking to people about what's important and helping them with that. Isn't that why that's what Canva sort of stands for a little bit?
1: Exactly, yeah. I think Canva's about I mean we're a design tool, right? But we're also communication tools. Well you're a
0: design tool. That's that's your product. That's your product. You're really trying to help people communicate. That's
1: right. Well with quality. Yeah,
0: high quality communication. I have to tell but you, but design
1: I, is about empathy. Design is about communication. Good design is like distilling a message down to its essence and making it resonate with somebody else.
0: in a way that's understandable. Yeah, and uh, and, and I can feel it. Yeah, that's and right. I feel it, see it, hear it. I can nearly touch it. So yeah, well, I want to go back a few steps. And I mean, obviously, that's what you love to do, or you know, well, that's what maybe you love to do. But that's that's what you think is an important factor in life.
1: I think so. Whether
0: it's just business or otherwise. Um, Where's that come from? I mean, where, I mean, did you grow up thinking that way?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I is think your mum and dad always, like that or? Yeah, mum and dad. Mom know. very social. Dad, less social. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'd say my family is very, like, outspoken. Yeah, I would very, like, I guess confident as well. Um, like, there's definitely an inherent air of confidence in my family.
0: And then, but in terms of? Communications and mm. um, valuing relationships. Has as someone said to you, Georgia? Relationships in life are really important, and mm. you must value them. Is mm. that is that a discussion, or is that something you saw?
1: I think it's something I learned actually myself. Like, uh, how 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 did I learn it? Yeah, I mean that's it's a, a great big question. Deal. Yeah, how the, I, how I the fuck do you learn shit know like how that? Like... I learned that probably modeling people. I think like I've seen a what lot. What does that of... mean
0: profiling people?
1: Modeling means kind of um, yeah copying.
0: Yeah, yeah. In a way that emulating someone emulating somebody. Someone who you admire. Yeah. For example.
1: Yeah. I think that I Well who's
0: someone you admired that you emulated? Do you remember specifically, or is it just like little subtle things you took?
1: I think I've had lots of different like and especially female mentors across like the start of my career, I would say. When I my very first job that was an unpaid job, I worked at ARIA, which was the you know, the ARIA's yeah. recording industry association. Yeah. Um, and I had a mentor there, Sabine, and she was heading up. Uh,
0: her name was Sabine?
1: Sabine, yep. yeah. I remember her very well. Um, music industry piracy investigations, MIPI. <laughs> yeah. And so she was helping kind of run this whole area and I was just kind of um, an intern there. And I remember her, I, I do very clearly remember her kind of focus on relationships. Louise, who ended up hiring me into that other startup that I went to. Second similar startup. Similar kind of. Mentor in a way, yeah. That she had
0: female mentors.
1: Female mentors.
0: So you sort of, uh, I think it's important because a lot of people sort of struggle. They all have the same dream that you just outlined earlier, right mm. at the beginning, but they don't really know how to get there. Mm. And um, and I think what we're talking about here is the important your for your your process is the importance of relationships. Yeah. And then working on those relationships because you you can uh, you can originate a re- relationship. But then you've got to retain it. You've got That's to keep right. it alive. You've got to keep feeding it. Um, and I, that sounds really manipulative, but I don't mean it in that sense. I mean, it requires um, nourishment. Yeah. You've got to nourish it. And you're also saying to me you're the importance of mentorship, female mentorship in your case.
1: Yep, definitely. Because
0: to be honest with you, this sounds very sexist, but women are much better at that than blokes as a rule. That yep. my experience. Mm-hmm. Um We and only do it. My experience too. <laughs> yeah. We only do it when it's. We're very purposeful, yeah, we build business relationships on purpose, yeah. women are better at building relationships just generally. that's why they have a better community. and you're saying that mentorship to you was quite an important thing because that's where you learned this from. You learned it from another I mother think so. as well as your own mother, but another mother and other mothers.
1: I'd say so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've never reflected on this in my life at all, so this is all kind of just stream of consciousness, yeah. but thinking about it now, yeah, I think that's that's what it is, and I think I've continued to find female mentors as well around me. Like I think I gravitate towards women who I aspire to be like.
0: The obvious question to anyone listening, from someone who's so successful at doing what a lot of people's dream job is today, (laughs) that's working for Canva, particularly at a high level as director of product, how do you find these mentors? I mean, in other words, you know, there's millions of women out there especially with the mediums around today how do you choose who's someone that is worth being your mentor how do you, what are you looking for
1: yeah i think at different stages of your career there's going to be women incredible women everywhere you go and you just got to look and find them i don't think you need to p- find the perfect mentor mm. think like find someone who's got some piece of value to give to you wherever you are there's going to be you're in your job your context Find someone who's doing something a little bit better than you
0: in in your in your discipline in your stream yeah, in your of discipline. business. Yeah, discipline. Yeah. So I might be a scientist. I'm a female and I'm a scientist. And um, I'm thinking, well, I'm listening to what George is saying now. Um, I'd love to be able to be as successful as Georgia. So I'm now going to find a female in technology or science that I think is worth following. For example, following by the way, using social media. Yeah. I'll follow her. Is is that what you're saying?
1: No, I would say someone in your immediate vicinity, like someone you can actually speak to, have a coffee with. Physical vicinity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I don't think going and following someone on social media is going to get you too much. Right. You're not going to be able to build a relationship that way, unless you really push and maybe you could could give it a crack. So it's
0: about building a relationship with someone that you look up to? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they don't need to be some perfect pinnacle of success, but they might have something that you don't have um, that you could learn from.
0: Okay. And and I think that's really good advice for everybody out there who's aspirational and has lots of ambition and ability and drive. Because for me, it seems to me in a lot of my success in my life, I didn't realize it at the time, but was being around really valuable people to me at the time. Yeah, Um, And what I got out of them, which is what my whole gig's about, the mentor's about paying forward what I've Mm. received from other people, because lots of people don't get the access to mentors like you and I have, because they don't know how to go about it. No, totally. And that's the whole objective of having someone like you on my show today, Um, is because what we're trying to do here is bring successful females to our audience as a mentor. I mean, in some respects, in a weird way, you're now paying it forward as a mentor to people who are listening. Now, they might not get access to you, and they won't get access to you probably, but Nonetheless, it's an important place for them to start.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, because you can't really remember how you, why you just decided to um, <laughs> attach yourself to some people to be your mentor. You probably don't know no. why. did It just happened. Yeah. What I'm saying to people here is, okay, get your blinkers off, open your eyes up, listen to what's being said here, use this as an opportunity to take George's advice, find someone in your immediate vicinity and do what? Could you just explain to them what it is that you I, think they should try and do if they can?
1: I would reach out to that person and just say, hey, can I go for a coffee with you? I love what you're doing um, and I'd really love to learn from you.
0: And what happens if they say no? Try again. Try again. I'd try again. Or try someone else maybe. Yeah.
1: And actually, going back to your question about how I got the job at Canberra, I actually emailed Mel and Cliff, the founders, years ago, like years before I started and said, can I have a job? You, what, what you're doing is really incredible. Um, and they said No. <laughs> So you
0: actually, what, did you email them? Emailed. I I sent a a message on LinkedIn. I sent
1: Cliff an email. But they replied? They replied, yeah, which was was actually incredible, really cool for me. And I was like, oh, I don't care. I've got to reply. That's amazing. And then I tried again six months later. I tried again six months later. um, And eventually they were like, actually, we might have something for you." you.
0: When you did that, when you reached out? to them, did you actually attach a CV or a, um, anything else like that? Or did you just say, hi, I'm Georgia, I'd like to have work for you guys?
1: The first time with Mel, I'd said, hey, I'm actually looking to start a business and I'd love your advice. So I kind of totally hid what I was actually wanting. Um, she was like, no, oh, good luck, but no. Um, to Cliff, I was a bit more like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in communications. I think you guys could do a lot with your marketing. How, I could probably help you. He was like, no, unless you're a software developer, we don't need you. Um, Yeah, so it was different different tactics each time. Nothing. How did it get on? How
0: did you get on there?
1: So actually someone who I met at Polonizer went to Canva before it had even launched. He was one of the first employees and I watched what was going on, started using the product when they launched and just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen um, and was desperate to get in there. So eventually I kind of I had other people who'd gone there that I knew as well. So I leveraged those relationships um, to try to get my foot in the door, at least for a first interview.
0: You knew people went there from various other places you have been involved in, but again, yep. your relationships helped you get in, get your foot in the door. Yeah, that's it's right. It's your skill and your ability and your drive that actually helps you stay there. Or, 100%. But it's, you just want your foot in the door.
1: That's right. i just got
0: to get my foot in the fucking door. so at least someone please look at me and talk to me. That's
1: right. And I went for a job that I didn't want. I just wanted to get in. into that, <laughs> into and the business. And you took the
0: view once I'm in.
1: Yeah. Then they'll know me. Then I'll, I'll, start I'll to...
0: open up my uh, display cabinet.
1: And I'll right. see
0: all the goodies I got. Yeah. And eventually I'll I'll win them over. So yeah. you back yourself.
1: Yeah. So And they actually gave me that first job, but I said, look, I'm not right for that role. I just wanted to meet you guys. You you go and find someone who's actually perfect for that role and I'll be here when you're when you've got something that that makes sense.
0: So what we're talking about here is one, understand the value of relationships. Two, make sure you build on those relationships, work on them. Because if you value something, you work on it. Just get your foot in the door somehow. And then take any job, if that's the dream place you want to work, then back yourself eventually to get into the role that you want to get into. That to me sounds like a a pretty good piece of advice, to be frank with you. I've done the same sort of thing many, Mm. many years ago, a long, long time ago, (laughs) but it's in a similar way because sometimes you don't have the cred to get into the job you want. Can't be precious. yeah, totally. you just got to take whatever fucking gets offered to you and just go for it but then say, yeah, but I'm in and I'm going to build it. Yeah. That's great advice and that's why you're here now, you're you know transferring this knowledge and these experiences to the people listening and day to day you're doing it in one of the, for me, one of the greatest companies in the world in my opinion who's riding a massive wave. So I want to go to the break. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about Canva and what it's doing
1: for the world. Sounds good.
0: back with Georgia Vidler. she is the director of product for Canva um, i must say i'm i'm really impressed the fact that Canva has maintained its headquarters here in Australia right here in Sydney that is fucking unreal it, it means they haven't sort of moved over to Singapore or some of those other places which probably have much better tax positions but um, <laughs> it's a great it's a great australian story it really is a great australian story do you mind Georgia just filling us in With the Canva story, because it's a brilliant story.
1: It is. It's incredible. So Mel and Cliff uh, and Cam are the three co-founders of Canva. But actually, Canva started as an idea many years before Canva itself was born with Mel and Cliff, who were running a business called Fusion Yearbooks. So they had this idea to transform the yearbook industry. They were both in education, actually. So Mel was teaching design at university. Cliff was a teacher um, and they saw this opportunity that yearbooks was this market to disrupt. And so they built this online program that allowed teachers to design yearbooks uh, and could get them printed and delivered to the school. Yearbooks and,
0: being the thing we get at the end of the year. Yeah. With all the yeah, photographs which in teaches,
1: it and teachers, like, it is, it's a nightmare for teachers right. to get it all together, get all the photos, get, you know, all the information, put that into something that's coherent and looks good and then print it out and send it every single year to the new, you know, the parents and the, and the kids and stuff like that. Um, so they saw this, this gap in the market, I guess, and grew this yearbook business from, you know, Mel's mum's place, I think. Um, they had printing presses in the lounge room and all this stuff. Uh, it was the two of them. They'd hired a few people, kind of that, you know, typical startup story almost from the garage. And then started to realize, actually, once they started to grow this business, you know, there might be something else in this. Maybe it doesn't stop at yearbooks. Um, And Mel started to kind of formulate this idea of this program that could basically allow you to design anything with zero experience. Because she was teaching at the time design programs like Adobe, you know, Illustrator and Photoshop, I think she saw very quickly that it was, you know, you needed a degree to learn these programs. Um, You needed thousands of dollars. It was, like, not accessible at all to the majority of people. And she dreamt up this future that was, um, you know, an incredibly accessible online collaborative um, world of design that didn't need any experience. And so the idea for Canva was born and she started to build out with Cliff and a few others that she recruited at the time like Cam um, and Dave Herndon who she brought over from Google. Um, Cam was also from Google actually. Uh, The idea for this prototype and they built it out. I think this is an interesting part of the Canva story Um, they built it for a year. They got investment. Um, somehow they pitched and pitched and pitched in Silicon Valley for months and months and months, got so many rejections. So they
0: pitched in Silicon Valley? They went to the Valley? Not here.
1: No, back then they went, they went over there.
0: They're they're Australians?
1: Australians. So
0: how did they know about that then?
1: Like? I don't know how they, I, I actually don't think they understood really what a startup was at the time. They, they heard that they, you know, they realized they had this idea, they needed to get some funding. They didn't think they'd be able to do that in Australia. And so they went over to the States um, just with a pitch deck. Without, They didn't even have a product.
0: Just the idea. Yeah,
1: just the idea and a talking deck? about
0: rich white kids? I mean, like, tell me the
1: story. No, not rich white kids. No, that, that's, I think that's, they come I mean, from humble. That, well, there is
0: a bit of a, a sense that, not, not to Canberra as such, but yeah. it's only rich white kids get these opportunities in the world. Like, I mean, how, no. how, how, how did it work?
1: They uh no, they come from very humble beginnings, yep. um, from my understanding. Yeah, they're from Perth, yep. so not from Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Um they did fly over to Sydney, moved here, and then they did all the stuff in the in the US. Yeah. Um, no, these people just have incredible drive, and to be honest, that's what keeps me at Canberra, and I've learned so much about drive and ambition at Canberra from these people. They have incredibly big dreams and they, they have, I guess, unwavering self belief. And I think that's what really Pushed Canva to get that first initial amount of funding. Is they just Can I
0: stop you there? That's a big deal. What you just said to me is really important. Yeah, unwavering self belief. So, lots of people continually challenge themselves and oh, am I good enough? Can I do this? Mm. They might get a bit tired, or they might get presented with a, a mountain of issues. How does someone with unwavering self belief deal with that? Because we, we all have them. I mean, those issues all, all arise. Yep. I mean, we all run into roadblocks all the time. How does someone with unwavering self belief deal with that in your experience?
1: Um, in my experience, I mean, if you're talking about that original story, I think they got rejected hundreds of times. And what they would do, and what they've told me many times, is they'd take the rejections. Um, you know, someone would say, oh, no, this is a stupid idea. You're never going to. This is never going to work for X, Y, Z reason. They'd take those reasons and put them at the front of the pitch deck as to why they were going to nail this industry. Um, So they kind of used all of the rejections as fuel for the fire, I guess, Mm. rather than just taking it on and being like, oh, I'm not good enough. Because, of course, they could have very easily at that time gone, no way in hell we're going to make this thing's going to work. Sometimes that's
0: the difference, by the way. two
1: random people from Perth.
0: Totally. Or we're not rich white kids. And we're just a couple of people from Perth or Newcastle or the west suburbs of Sydney. Yeah,
1: that's it's right. not fair.
0: We we never really get up. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. Or this sense of well, like why the, not me? That's another way. That's of looking the other at, way. You can say why me or why not? Yeah. And exactly. that's it. Just put why not. Put yeah. the not in there.
1: That's right. And that
0: makes a huge difference to the outcome.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: And what they did, what you just said, is that they took every rejection and they made it part of their pitch. Yeah. In other words, this is why me.
1: Exactly. Why you
0: should choose me. Why you should take my my pitch, my offer. That's pretty cool. And uh, would you call it? Would you call them resilient at the time, or they built resilience?
1: I think they probably had to build resi- a lot of resilience over that time. I mean, hundreds of rejections. I think Mel's told me many times she was, you know, sleeping on her brother's floor, and over in the US, they didn't really even have anywhere to to live there. They were kind of just there temporarily, like. Crossing their fingers and toes, hoping to God something would come out of it, and nothing did in that first trip. Um, But eventually, Bill Tai, who's an investor now in Canberra and invests in a lot of different businesses, um, he kind of he saw something, Uh, even in the printed out pitch deck that I think Mel showed him in the very early days. He was like, "Oh, there's something in this." Even though you're trying to say you're going to change the future of publishing to this digital format, and you're, (laughs) you're showing me this. This um, printed pitch deck, uh, I can see something in this.
0: That's sort of interesting because people are always trying to work out how to do a pitch deck. Pitch deck's n- mm. not that easy to do. No. Um, because it's got to be relevant and you don't know what's relevant until you start to pitch and until yeah, you get exactly. to rejections. Once you get to rejections, you work out what's relevant, Yeah. in the negative at least. Um, you will never work out what's relevant in the positive because people very rarely give you positive feedback. They're always going to give you negative feedback. They're going to give in rejection. That, that's an easy one for them to do. Yeah, that's right. Because a lot of times um, these investors are looking for reasons to say no. They're not looking for reasons to say yeah. yes and um, and all the no's and actually can help you. That's that's very clever. They actually built their pitch deck off the back of the rejections. That's really cool. So t- – oh, sorry, I'm interrupting. Keep, keep going. Forward on. So they got their investor out in um, the US.
1: Yep, and I think they got a couple of investors, a couple of extra investors as well at the time. So a small round – um, and they took that, they took an entire year to build the product, which was kind of weird at the time because the whole lean startup methodology was coming out with Eric Ries's book and, um, you know, you were meant to kind of just get something out fast to learn, iterate, you know, build, measure, learn kind of thing. Um, and In other that words, was, they're trying
0: to perfect it as opposed to yeah. yeah, haven't just doing it.
1: Yeah. But that's fundamentally what made the difference um, is that they didn't just launch something crappy and just see if it, worked. Mm. They spent a lot of time making it really, 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 really good. Um, And then when they did launch, it was incredibly good um, and actually started to take off just organically. It didn't need, they didn't even have any marketing in the early days and it just started to grow. And I think that philosophy has been embedded into the way we do product at Canva. It's you don't just launch something crap, so to speak, and then build on it. You make it really amazing first and then launch it and then you can build on that.
0: So you project manage the outcomes. So you you build up with the outcomes at the beginning, and you sort of say these are our goals, these are our objectives. Yeah. So if you're looking for a new product, you, Georgia, as head of product, um, your your team is looking to launch a new product. Um, do you say these that we want excellence in our outcomes right at the beginning? You yeah. You say this is the outcome we want, and we build to that.
1: Definitely, yeah. and I think yeah, the the reason Canva has been so successful is because it's an incredible user experience. We were disrupting a market where there were already tools out there doing something similar, but they were just incredibly difficult to use. Mm. So our unique selling proposition, I guess, is that it's really easy. It's so, fun. Yeah, and it, yeah, and so and you get confident. You, yeah. you build confidence while you're using it. It's, it's nearly oh,
0: childlike. I don't want to be, put it down, but no, it's, but
1: that's the that's the aim. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah,
0: because we. I mean, I actually quickly tell you a story. Um, my one of my businesses, Yellow Big Road, um. We traditionally spend a lot of money on the usual advertising mediums, but they're very expensive mm. and largely it's it's more of a spray technique coming from an advertising background. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's more <laughs> a spray technique.
1: Not much attribution. When <laughs>
0: you're not 100% sure where, where actually the, the lead came from or did it come from the money I spent or what. You don't yeah. know how it worked. It's okay. Um, it's not bad for to launch a brand, I guess. And, um, but it got to a point where in one period there where we, we just couldn't afford it. Money wise. Yeah. So, because the cost of a lead was too much. So, June last year, my business, Elbrick Road, had the worst financial year in our history um, in 2019 because the Royal Commission happened and the property market went backwards for the first time for a long time and the regulator w- wouldn't allow us to lay money to investors and all. So, e- everybody just fell off the perch. Yeah. And uh, I thought, I've got to do something here and I can't afford to, I've got to relaunch our product and push our product into everybody's mind. But I can't afford to spend, you know, $500 a lead um, because it doesn't make sense. So I thought what I'm going to do is going to get every branch in Australia, we had 230 branches, and my average age of a Yellow Big Road person is over 50, average. Um, So I'm going to get them all on social mediums and I'm going to make each one of them a little advertising hub for their own environment, their own community, their own franchise. So I went around and I started showing them, you know, I I got a, a guy come with me to show them how to, set up Instagram. Most of them didn't have Instagram accounts, hardly any of them. They even had Facebook accounts. So I had to, we had to merge the two. We had to change the <laughs> profiles and we had to teach them how to take photographs. Some of those people who did have Instagram accounts used to put photographs and then walking their dog up and then it's got nothing to do with lending money, <laughs> you know, or photographs of their grandkids or something like that. So we actually had to take them right through the whole process. And what tools do we use or do they use? And we had to introduce them to Canva. And I'll be honest with you, we, every month I went to Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, and I got all the branches together in one room. Obviously, we can't do it right at the moment, but that's what we did for like nine months. We got everyone on all the various wow. mediums. Uh, we've, we've got various other tools to actually track how well they're doing I mean, I had to teach them how to take control of their own marketing and their own advertising. Mm. But Canva played a huge role in it. Oh,
1: how cool is that? Huge
0: role. And um, they absolutely love it. They, uh, and all, most of our leads come through this environment or partly through this environment. It helps support the main website you know the two support each other their little their little social media game yeah. using your tool with our bigger game at our at our website um and they supplement each other so it's it is oh, my branches I hope they're not listening to this but <laughs> if my principals of my branches who are over 50 can use Canva I'll be honest anybody can
1: 100% and that's that's the goal is that anybody can be creative and I think interestingly we kind of get kind of get taught that we over time when we're young where everybody's creative right when you're a kid no one has any fear about creativity as you get older you, you get more fearful to be creative because like oh that's not me I'm not a creative person or I can't do that or I can't do it yeah yeah but I think with canva you you learn oh actually maybe I can and that moment of confidence I guess is kind of the whole the whole point
0: it's it's you got to try these things I, I, I mean as kids we know, no one ever says I oh, have it, have a go it because we just do it. I mean, in terms of cr- being creative,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, as we get older, we get fearful, and that and I, my, I ask you is is that what Canva's objective is? Is to take the fear out of being creative?
1: Hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's you, you present it in a way. That's why I said it's a bit childlike, and I don't mean to, to be demeaning of the Canva product and or its brand, but it's childlike in that it's it would appeal to a kid. It appeals to the kid in us. Yeah. And there's always kids still in us. Child is still exists in all of us. That's right. It definitely is in my case. I mean, I'm still a boy at heart. And um, it certainly, as we just said, takes the fear out of it. Um, and I will have a crack at it, at least have a go at it, and then I become competent. Yeah. And then I say, oh, wow, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. And I see <laughs> exactly. my I see my results. Say, that looks pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I start- give it a go again. Yeah, I have a crack. You know? Yeah. And uh, what- Why? I mean, I, I, I want to talk to you in a moment about Canva relative to the, what I'm now calling, I'm going to call this out. We, we actually have now had a digital revolution as a result of the COVID mm. virus. I think there'll mm-hmm. be a, a permanent change, structural change in the way we go about business from here on in, and it's okay. actually perfect for someone like Canva. But prior prior to this, this environment, what do you see as the digital wave that we were on up until COVID. COVID's just amplified it. But what is the digital wave? I mean, what should people be aware of in terms of running their business relative to the digital wave and all the tools around us like Canva? Mm.
1: Where are you guys seeing it? I mean, I see that now you can get a business up and running very quickly with very minimal experience in a lot of different industries. I mean, you can get design going. You've never done design. You can probably get your finances going with zero. You know, there's so many tools out there that kind of cover the entire gamut of what it takes to start a small business or to kick off a startup. You know, Canva, we do pitch decks. Like, you can get everything going pretty much now just as a one man, one Explain woman band. Explain the pitch band. deck
0: then. Explain what, what, I mean, we all know what, a, well, hopefully everybody knows what a pitch deck is, but mm. like that was pretty important to Canva originally. Yeah. What what does the Canva product line for pitch deck design look like? I mean, what, what are you talking about here?
1: Yeah. So Canva is, I mean, I think people know us, if you do know us, you know us as a kind of social media marketing tool, um, but actually Canva does a ton more. So you can pretty much create anything you need for work, more or less with Canva. And one of those things is presentations. So We see that there's, you know, some old presentation tools in the market, not going to name names, but they're a bit old, they're a bit clunky, they're a bit difficult. You can't really make anything look good in them. Um, And you also don't really get a sense of like, how do I craft a really great and engaging talk or a great and engaging presentation with the old tools that are kind of out there? Um, And so what we want to do is bring the magic of what Canva has done to kind of marketing to presentations. So giving people, you know, a huge amount of templates so they can get started. They don't need to even know what they're going to start with, uh, you know, necessarily, Um, make it look incredible, make it really engaging, embed the principles of great design in the product so that people can come out at the end of the day with an incredible pitch.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess to some extent that's pretty funny because that's the thing that got Tim Howard out of Mm. you, (laughs) uh, impressed him to ask you to leave the environment you're at to join your very 1st startup Mm. was your presentation.
1: That's true. And pitching is a huge part of Canva's culture actually. Is
0: it? Yeah, we present a lot internally. internally. So pitch deck doesn't mean you're pitching to an investor just. We're talking about presentation. So we're we're talking about maybe you explain to me what you mean by pitching. I mean you're someone who's had lots of experience in terms of presentation Canva has its own pitch product. So Mm. take me through it.
1: Yeah. So I guess I think of pitching, we were talking about pitch decks in terms of a startup pitching for funding. That's not the only way you can think about pitching. I, I think of everything. I think of life as a pitch Mm. a little bit. Um, even if I'm not necessarily giving a presentation, I'm still pitching. (laughs) I still need to bring people along for the ride with me. Um, and that's important at every level of business, I think but even in terms of presentations you know i'll i'll i'm presenting probably on a weekly fortnightly basis on different topics internally different initiatives i'm trying to run and i think what's critical to a good pitch is a good story humans are storytellers right um and if you can't if you just, you know, trying to run through numbers or trying to run through here's the screen here's the screenshots of a product I want to build. Nobody like cares. Fucking
0: PowerPoint. Nobody cares. Numbers. Oh my God kills me.
1: Like people need to hear why. Like why is this important? And they often want a like a higher order of thinking why. Like you need a I think you generally need to play to their why am I getting out of bed for this? Like why did I get up today to watch this? And a lot of the time that's not because they just want to like make money or make the business money or whatever. Um, They want to, and a a lot of people join Canva because they actually want to change the world. So how can you, in every pitch you make, make it clear how this particular thing is helping them change the world or helping them do what you know motivates them. Maybe it's not changing the world in your industry. Maybe it's changing some part of some industry or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, I think you have to appeal to that higher order thinking in a way.
0: So that's interesting because I think most people think of, well, I know a lot of people in business think of pitching as a PowerPoint. And the PowerPoint sort of, for me anyway, evokes that sense of someone's an engineer Mm. and um, they're giving me uh, some graphs and they're going to give me uh, statistics and they're going to give me some research and it's going to be very engineer style. It's going to be engineered. Mm -hmm. um, And... Straight up, I'm fucking bored, right?
1: Exactly. Straight up, um,
0: <laughs> I don't mind having that in the addendum because if I'm really, really interested, I might go and have a look at that engineered stuff. Mm. So what you're saying, really, the opposite is to what most people think about a pitch, is actually talk about the higher order stuff first. Yeah. Talk about the elevated stuff, the really high thinking, the the purpose, the
1: purpose, the, the why,
0: the why. Why am I doing this? Yeah. How your product, the Canva, how does it how does it work? Like, could you explain to to me how it works, like the Canva pitch.
1: Pitch product, product. presentation
0: product. It's called a presentation product, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, more or is, less. is that where, where, where do we find it? Where do we find it? So you it?
1: can go, it's in, yeah, if you go into regular Canva, canva.com mm-hmm. um, or the apps, uh, and you can just search for a presentation and you'll find, same same as normal Canva, you'll find thousands of incredible templates. And what we've actually done is kind of scoured The web for some of the best pitch decks that we've seen and baked in, um, what we know is a a good storyline into all of the templates. So you'll be able to kind of just grab and go and enter your content and create something pretty incredible in a pretty short period of time.
0: People are scared about building pitch decks. Yeah. (laughs) They really get, they, they basically shit themselves. And um...
1: I have a tip, one piece of content per slide, one, not 10 dot points, like one line Right. One idea per slide. Is
0: that because you need to speak to it? Are you saying that as a reminder to you, the pitcher, to speak to that one dot point? Or yeah. is that because what's the habit of people who look at um, a pitch document?
1: I think it's just I often see, especially with the PowerPoints, like you'll see 10 dot points. On a, no one's reading any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like just get to the essence. What are you trying to say 100%. and have it on one line? Maybe just a picture, an image. Yeah. What, what can encapsulate what you're trying to say with one memorable piece of content? You know, I think when you see a really boring PowerPoint presentation for 10 minutes, you're like, this person doesn't care about me. Yeah, yeah. This person made this with no consideration of me sitting here. You know, we think at Canva, we think that presentations and websites are actually much closer than not. So, presentations should actually be pretty, very engaging content that you could share after the fact. It's got videos, it's got GIFs, it's got links, it's got, it's like a world of, of its own um, that almost becomes a website. Um, And I think that's the kind of content that people my age are looking for. They're looking for rich content that can send you different places that they can then share around. Um, You know, it has a lifespan, I guess, of its own.
0: They can sort of say to someone else, check this out.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: How long should a presentation be? I mean, or how What's the limit of a presentation? It should be no more than five minutes or what, what, is there a view on that?
1: Yeah, I would say probably after a few minutes people start to get bored.
0: Yeah. So yeah. what do you think? What do you reckon? <laughs> I think well, that, and that's 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 Sorry to interrupt, but that's another generational thing too, by the way, mm. because in my, when I was younger, if you didn't sit there and listen attentively for 40 minutes, you're rude. Today, if you speak for 40 minutes, you're rude.
1: Yeah, totally. I think it's probably – I mean, it depends on the industry you're in, right? We're actually doing another – Part of the product, which is going to be very much pinning on presentations, but that's Canva for education. So if you're, you know, a teacher, of course, you're going to have to speak for probably longer than five minutes for a lesson. And so making that engaging for kids especially is, um, you know, having quizzes in the middle of the presentation, stuff like that. That's, I think, making it interactive. The longer it goes on, the more, you know, kind of interesting and varied the content needs to get. So I think if you're doing five minutes, you can make it really punchy. But, yeah, the longer it goes on, you're going to have to, um, you know, make it a lot more engaging.
0: So, Georgia, like, to be frank with you, pitching is therefore incredibly important. We've spent a lot of time talking about it, but it is – Canva's game to educate people around how to pitch. In other words, how broad is that whole education purpose of Canva?
1: Yeah. So I guess Canva, as I was mentioning before, has its roots in education. Um, So with the yearbook business and all of that. uh, And we've just recently, we actually have a huge user base of teachers and students um, and did very little to to build that user base. That just grew organically. Teachers were picking up Canva and going, oh, this is actually an amazing tool to use for content in my classroom, to create worksheets, to create presentations. Um, And so we kind of thought it was about time to do something a little more intentional to help this community. And so we launched, yeah, just in January actually Canva for Education, which is a 100% free tool for teachers and students.
0: Are you educating the educator or are you educating the educator and the students?
1: Yeah, it's kind of both. So it's using this design tool to, I mean, on the teacher side, they create worksheets, activities. Presentations, infographics, um, and for students, they you know they can do their assignments in Canva now um, and make them much more engaging. They kind of express their learning, I guess, through this design.
0: That's a very important tool, I guess, right now during this homeschooling environment. Yeah, it's 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 nearly like you knew it was going to happen.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> going wild actually. We're getting like I don't know the exact numbers, but I think like a hundred and something percent increase in teachers now signing up to Canva and Canva for Education. So. It's going pretty crazy right now, and it's now. free, and it's hundred percent free. yep. that's
0: awesome, which is really cool. That's awesome. I, I, I quickly want to get in. This is pretty important. I guess it's somewhat relevant. Um, we're sitting here now, social distancing, but we're sitting here now towards the end of the COVID nineteen um, virus pandemic. Um, mm. you know, we're we're seeing numbers look pretty good here in Australia. And what do you see coming out of economically, or may, uh, in a business sense? What do you see coming out as? coming out of all this is structural change? What is the structural change that Canva sees relative to digitization or digital markets? Mm. What do you see?
1: So many different changes, I think, coming. I mean, we're, you know, everyone's just kind of uh, trying to tell the future here. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think in terms of the future of work and organisationally how, how we're running things, yep. that's all going to change entirely. And I think to be... We've been talking about this a lot internally, to be competitive in the market, especially if you're a startup or a tech company, you're going to have to offer flexible working arrangements from now on. There's
0: working It's not just where you work or what time you work, it's um, how you work.
1: How you work, where you work, what time, everything. I think everything is going to need to become really flexible because I think that's what workers are now going to expect. Like we've had a taste of this, even though, you know, with social distancing, it's kind of, depending on who you are, it can be... <laughs> I mean, it's been a bit difficult for me. I'm a bit of a, I need human contact. So, Um, but yeah, I think people are going to expect working from anywhere, working at the times I need to work. And I think even, I've heard from a lot of parents at Canva, this has actually been really cool, especially if they're new parents, they've actually had a chance to spend time with the kid like you know, a a baby that they wouldn't have been able to spend time with. So I think all of that is going to change. And we probably won't. I mean, everyone was kind of talking about this, you know, at some point in the future, we're not going to have offices. The physical space is probably not going to be as important. I think this has just catapulted us into that moment.
0: Can I ask you this, Georgia? I mean, I was only thinking myself, let's say I've got 250 employees in my Sydney office here. Mm. Um, And let's say I've got two floors of a building in the city, which I do. Mm Mm-hmm. Expensive floors. My <laughs> bad. They are very expensive <laughs> floors, um, and uh, you know, got go like 125 on each floor. But at the moment, we've got no one there. Mm. I'm the only one who goes in, and everybody works from home. And we've had to equip everybody with um, laptops, etc. Before they had PCs. Some had laptops, some had PCs. But now everybody's got lap- laptops. Yeah. Some we've had to build in digital environment, work workplace environments, so that they know at 8:30 they we, we, they have a, a, a meeting with a team leader, blah blah blah, and they have close off periods and they have open access to people and obviously they're using all the various Zoom and Teams and all those sorts of things we are using mm. all the stuff or Teams we use. So I was thinking myself, I wonder why what I would do, break my organisation up into the red team and the blue team and say to the red team, well, you come in, because the feedback I'm getting is my staff saying, yes, exactly what you said. I really enjoy being at home because I can take my kids to school, I can pick them up. Mm. There's still – I'm finding I'm getting emails at 9 o'clock at night, whereas I used to get them between, you know, 8.30 and 6.30 sort of thing, mm. which is fine by me. I'm getting it at 9 o'clock. Sort of suge- but I'm getting very few between 4 and 6, which mm. is indicating people are doing school things or they're going for a walk. And or then working Or making dinner, then they get back on it. So in other words, yeah. they're doing their eight hours or whatever amount of their productive hours they would ordinarily do. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, but they're also saying – so they're enjoying that part, but they're also saying, hey, but I really like – coming into work too because I, I get to see Georgia and I see Tina, you know, and uh, have a mag and I go across the road to get a coffee.
1: Yeah. And
0: I get my lunch. So I want both. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, red and blue, maybe what I do is red comes in this week, blue comes in next week, and we swap them over. But the outcome of that is I don't need as much real estate.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which, You're not gonna, you can get half the rent.
0: Correct. <laughs> that's the way it looks to me. I mean, yeah. so one of the outcomes is could be, you know, office buildings could start to become a bit more available.
1: Yeah, I absolutely which, think that's how it's going to go. The cool thing for Canvas, so obviously you mentioned before we kept our headquarters in Sydney, Mm. which is pretty rare for a growing tech company, to be honest. Like most of them are going to move to the States or or whatever, because that's where the talent is. Not a lot of experienced tech company talent in Sydney. So we have, in a lot of cases, dried up the local market in terms of trying to find people with the necessary skills that we need. So we've had to go internationally. But the problem when you go internationally is you have to convince these people to move to Sydney. Mm. If they've got their family with a house and a dog and they're living in, you know, San Francisco, why, it's a pretty hard sell, um, to get them to come and move here. And so, you know, we go all over the world, like Europe and, um, yeah, America and, and, and lots of different places, but it makes it really difficult for us to find good people. Um, and so I think this might be a really incredible opportunity for businesses like ours to actually find talent where they are and not have to have this constraint of, you know, they have to be in my immediate vicinity for them to actually bring value to my organisation.
0: Was there any um, big change in the way you guys run your business because of the virus? In other words, did you have to build new tools that people could actually work from home with?
1: Um, We were already using a ton of tools, but I think we just had to ramp up usage of them. Um, And I think we've also had to definitely solve documentation. We're definitely a business that was like, oh, we'll just jump in a meeting. Let's just have a chat. And, you know, you can't really, you know, tribal knowledge would spread in this kind of organic way. Um, And I think what we're realizing now is we really need to kind of document and codify all the stuff that's going on. So everyone knows what's going on without having to have all these ad hoc jump in a room, you know, meetings. So there's
0: a place of truth with the digital place of truth where I can go in and check what I'm, my, I'm supposed to be doing today, or exactly. what, what, what my team's thinking about talking about doing.
1: Exactly. So and other team. That's my
0: that's that's my let's call it your uh, tribal environment.
1: Yeah. Which is ordinarily <laughs>
0: would be a physical thing. You yeah. just say, oh look, well, we're having a meeting at two o'clock. Oh, you might be in the canteen or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you need that. You need that canteen. We're
1: trying to figure out what that looks like right now. Yeah, exactly. And we are building some internal tools to do that. Actually. That that's that's a long journey the way. We've just But even someone it. like
0: Canva has to do those sort of things. You have to Definitely. sort of pivot internal ops.
1: A oh little yeah. Bit. Yeah.
0: A ton. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: and I think with, with different working times as well, there's a ton of people who've come, you know, they're okay, I'm doing seven till twelve and then I've got the kids for four hours and then and so we've had to figure out how do we coordinate all these different people on these different times and stuff like that. So yeah.
0: I used to think about people who wanted flexi working hours. Or flexi working arrangements as having a, as having a lend of me
1: yeah um, I, and that's I, so funny that's what Cliff I used um, to think that yeah I don't now no because you're are you now working from home you're like oh it's actually <laughs> yeah it's, it's okay <laughs> I, well, I can not bludge yeah <laughs> totally but I, yeah, I used
0: no. to think they're having a lend like and uh, and now I'm thinking oh, hang on I actually want people to do it but that's kind of the old
1: and, school way, yeah totally isn't it? totally of, totally yeah. And yeah. I think we're all realising that now. And I,
0: But I also think people who who, uh, who want to do the Flexi thing have, have also probably realised, well, there's something what Mark says too, because you know there's an equally important outcome when I actually am with the group. Yeah. So there's a bit of both.
1: And I think especially if you're in a leadership position, like it's hard to lead people and inspire people over Zoom. Totally. <laughs> that becomes very difficult. Human contact is critical for me in what I do. So... I definitely need a combo. I don't, yeah. think I, I don't think I could go 100% Zoom world. I think I'd go go mad. Yeah, I,
0: I think I'm the same. I, I need. I don't feel the same connection when I'm looking at someone on a video. Yeah. Mind you, I have gone. I've upgraded my mobile phone, my smartphone. Yeah. I've upgraded my. Uh, I've unfortunately my. You know, I won't say the name of the uh, laptop I had, but it didn't wasn't very good on audio and definitely wasn't very good on um on video. So I've upgraded that because when you start seeing yourself on some of those. Some of those calls, especially when with the groceries, when it's Skype, um, it's a bit scary. Yeah, you know you're like, what the fuck you're like, <laughs> and, well, uh, and you and and you're talking to someone in the studio on the <laughs> other side. They're looking fantastic. They got makeup on. They got the lights. <laughs> you think, I look like fucking something just got dragged out of fucking out of the creek down the road. You know, so uh, and it's made me really conscious of the execution, and also what video looks like. I mean, it's taken me Mm. right back to where I was a year ago when I was talking to all my branches about setting themselves up on Instagram, making sure that they take a non-scary photograph of
1: themselves. I'm
0: now doing it with myself. (laughs) And this this has been a fast year. If you go back 12 months to now, this is mental. It's
1: insane.
0: Mental. I mean, I know we've had lots of problems in Australia, like lots of, you know, bushfires and droughts and the mad rains and we've had the COVID. But apart from that, it's just been a crazy year of change. It's been so rapid. Yeah. I've never seen any like this in my life. I mean, no. does someone in, do you feel that like as a much younger person? Do you feel I that? I feel
1: that. Yeah, definitely. I think though, I mean, I've been told in the past that I deal with change. Like I've, I've gotten very used to change because especially in a hyper growth startup, you have to get very used to everything changing on your feet at all times. And you need that to grow. Um, so I think for me, it hasn't been as overwhelming, but I have seen some people in like other industries that have just, you know, maybe if they've been stagnant or I've got a friend who's an actuary, um, this Whoa. is kind of just a massive shake up, <laughs> which is, I think, I think it's going to, it's going to be some good and some bad, like, like everything, but um, I can see a lot of good coming out of this.
0: So George, I've been asking all the questions. What one question you got to ask me?
1: So I have a question for you. I was wondering, given the current environment, what industry do you think is due for a bit of a shake up? What industry, maybe
0: I'll say it, like you said, don't ask why, but ask why not. I'm asking you which industry is not ready for a (laughs) shakeup. I think anything that's got something to do with young kids and learning. So Mm. I think irrespective of the fact that we keep getting told by the scientists that children are more likely to be able to resist the current virus and or any viruses that may follow in the future, I think parents are still really scared. Yeah. about sending the kids to these environments.
1: Yeah.
0: And therefore, remote learning and childhood education to me, particularly early learning centres like preschool
1: mm. and
0: before preschool, like two- and three-year-olds, people want to get their kids into good schools. They want the, they definitely don't want the kids to be behind. So all this early childhood learning to me is a big deal. And I don't really, if I, I mean, obviously I don't have one, but I wouldn't want, well, I have a grandson. I don't really want my grandson going to a place where he might get ill um, so I'd rather know that my grandson's on a program where he's learning from home with, say, his mum at home yeah, or his dad at home, for that matter, and what early childhood learning programs online digitally based teaching the child to become digitally competent from a very young age, not just on iPhones how to pick out uh, Pokemon mm. or something like that, but actually being able to be competent on an iPhone or on a laptop or on a, a screen as to how to do their work and learn. I think that's a big deal.
1: Mm, I ah. think that's a
0: big deal going forward and there's disruption sitting there right there. There's old school. I mean, th- these things will coexist, but, but picking my son up and my daughter up and taking her to the early learning centre in uh, Glee, but uh, 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. and then rushing to work, that's going to change. Mm. Maybe I won't be rushing to work, working from home. But maybe I need to ha- make my house a slightly different environment where my child has a, a little place where they, he or she can sit down and learn his or her early learning as well as whilst I'm doing my work. Yeah. How do those things coexist?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. You should tell your grandchild's uh, teacher about Canva for Education. I will. <laughs>
0: so that was a loaded question. I knew it coming.
1: I didn't even know you were going to say that. So, yeah, but it is a big deal. handy little plug. <laughs> well,
0: this has been a, for me, been a, an awesome opportunity and a fascinating discussion. Um, Georgia, I really appreciate you coming in, especially Thanks for, for me. Women in Business Month. It's inspirational, it's something others aspire to. I think you have been very helpful to everybody and, uh, I look forward to watching Canva. I look forward to watching your progress and I'm really intrigued about your pitch deck or your pitch tools. I'm gonna to go and look at presentations for myself.
1: Yes. And I tell you too. why,
0: because I think it's one of the most important things Australians in business need to be good at and I'm gonna start pushing it. Thanks very much.
1: Awesome, thanks much. See you, Georgia. <laughs>